In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I don't have one of these pulpits at my church back home, but I thought I'd try this rather than pace around over there. Uh, so we have two readings for today. The Epistle of Titus comes somewhat out of sequence of the normal readings, and uh, it's picked for this day on account of the fact it's tied to the Seventh Ecumenical Council, which we commemorate. And in there, we have Paul telling us, apply yourself to good deeds, and then later, avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels over the law, for they are futile, and avoid factious people. Uh, and I would say to that, you become like the people you spend time with. So there's some, you have to think about who you, you hang around. So it can happen in parishes and families or at work, that we sometimes need to take a stand on things. But we need to keep in mind if what we're taking a stand on is about our own ego or whether it's about something that leads the people around us to a greater sense of holiness or not. Uh, if we keep this in mind and avoid the power trip or the need to be right, uh, we're probably on the right track. Uh, by contrast, if we find ourselves needing to win an argument, particularly if it doesn't lead to holiness in some way, shape, or form, uh, then we're probably actually winning for a loss, if that makes sense. Uh, so ask yourself if these kinds of arguments or discussions lead to holiness, or if might be better in this particular situation to lose one for the team, so to speak. Uh, to take a loss to win a brother or sister for the Lord. So with that in mind, let's turn to the council for a second. The, the Seventh Ecumenical Council is sort of a favorite of mine uh, because I love art in general, and it's a real joy to serve here, surrounded by all of this beauty, and all of you, you all dressed up and clean up really well from the week too. Um, you know, the Seventh Ecumenical Council met to deal with controversies about icons or church art but the issue at hand really uh, goes a lot deeper than that. It touches upon our very salvation. By the way, am I speaking too fast? It's so echoey in here. I wonder sometimes if I need to pause at the end of sentences for the echoes to die. Well, that would be crazy. All right. Um, all right. So it touches on our very salvation. The iconoclasts, the people who wanted to break up the icons and and, and whitewash the insides of the church, uh, were missing an important point. Uh, their, their, their point was that uh, no one can see God. And in a way, they're right about that in a limited sense uh, because none of us will ever see the true essence of God, know his interior mind, if you will. Uh, but on the other hand, as St. Gregory Palamas points out, we do have access to the energies of God. And uh, more than that, Jesus was fully God and fully man, so we can make a picture of, of him. Um, I think also the iconoclasts were afraid that matter, the stuff out of which the universe appears to be made, is somehow uh, defiled or, or inappropriate for God because, you know, in, in this life we have all kinds of weaknesses and corruption and, and it takes a lot of energy to keep up 
uh, any kind of structure or, you know, you have to eat every day and so on. Uh, the body has its own repair mechanisms. And so I, I think they were also afraid that iconography would lead to idolatry. And uh, of course it need not. Uh, we can venerate, we can have respect for the things depicted in the icons and reserve worship for God alone. Right, so the people in favor of the icons, the Orthodox Christians that we descend from, they reasoned about this differently. They said more or less that Christ is both fully God and fully man. And yes, I know, this is a logical paradox. Most of the great heresies, maybe all of them, uh, come from this temptation to, to try and make the difficult to understand put it in a nice, neat little box and tie it up with a bow and say, ah, there, we understand this. Well, God doesn't fit in a nice, neat little box, okay? Uh, one uh, English author, uh, C.S. Lewis, in the Narnia books, you know, says Aslan stands for Christ in these books, something I missed as a little kid. Um, and so in there, Aslan is described as not a tame lion. Okay, uh, it's, it's dangerous and fearful to stand in front of the Lord or Aslan in the stories. Uh, God doesn't have to fit inside of our logical constructions. You know, normally we would say God is, you know, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So that's two things, right? One plus one is equal to two, right? And pretty much all the math, that's how it works. Uh, well, God is different, bigger, pick your modifier, uh, than our human logic. So if God, we also understand that God being, Christ being fully God and fully man is required, in quotes, uh, for our salvation. If he isn't fully man, then we aren't fully saved. And, and so the argument continues, if Christ is fully man, then it is obviously possible to render an image of him in mosaics like there or in all the beautiful iconography, there's one right over my head. Um, and, you know, I'm somewhere deep in one of these pockets. I have an iPhone. If he was standing in front of me, I could, I used to say Polaroids, but hardly anybody knows, you know, younger than me knows what a Polaroid is anymore. But anyway, you could take a picture of him with a camera, and it would show up on the screen or film or what have you. And, and so we, we, because he was part of this physical universe. And if he wasn't, then, you know, and to say that you can't make a picture like that is almost, maybe even is, saying the same thing as, well, Christ isn't really fully human, but then that puts our salvation at, in danger. So, so they said it's not that we can have icons in church, we must have icons so that we avoid that kind of wrong thinking and bad teaching. And so ever since, the Orthodox have had icons. Well, I said ever since. The council made that decision in 787, I think the year was, and I don't think that the triumph of orthodoxy that we celebrate in Lent, where they finally did away with the stupid controversy uh, that is referred to by Paul in Titus's letter, uh, was 50 or 75 years later. It took a long time to get this solved. Um, but eventually the factious people gave in, and, and so we have all of this beautiful church artwork in here now today. All right, so let's turn to the gospel. I always feel badly if I get too far off into the life of the saints or something like that, don't touch on the gospel. 
in, the, in this gospel reading, this parable of the sower, the sower is God uh, giving us his word. And we could probably build an entire sermon out of the idea of Christ being the word. But I thought maybe for my you know, first sermon here, I'd keep it a little simpler than that and just say that the word here refers to scripture. It, it, but, but keep in mind, it can be both, okay? Um, so y'all are in church. So you're less likely to be the ones who fell away after a brief time of enthusiasm, <coughs> though I would sort of say by way of caution, that particularly for converts, that can be a challenge. Uh, and, and I'd also perhaps warn the converts, uh, the Fotis many, as one priest likes to refer to them, the enlightened ones, uh, that none of us, especially us clergy, none of us are perfect. Sooner or later, somebody in church is going to do something that's going to disappoint you. Uh, only Christ is perfect. Hang on to that and, and not your faith in us so much, necessarily, because we will eventually disappoint you. Also, y'all are in church. Good, right? So you're less likely to be pulled away by the temptations, cares, and pleasures of life. But again, it can still happen. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did an online course on effective Christian ministry. Steve Cristoforo was here uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, he was involved in creating that course. Uh, I highly recommend it. I think it was one of the best things to come out of the Archdiocese offices in recent times. One section of that course on effective ministry dealt with the idea of the danger of creating a lot of church programs. Uh, some of these church programs are a lot of fun and do a lot of good, but in any of them, I think there's a potential trap for us. People have this way of getting connected to the programs, but don't form connections to people who can act as mentors for them, and more importantly, don't always forge a deep connection to Christ our God uh, through these programs. And if then, after a period of time, the people who are in these programs go to another parish that doesn't have those programs, or they go off to college, or join the military, where in these different circumstances they don't have that kind of support, what happens? I, mean, I think a lot of us know what happens. Very often they fall away from the church, don't they? So, uh, so then that turns us to this question of how do we become the good soil yielding good fruit a hundredfold? Well, let's look at what Christ had to say about this. He said to, hold the, to hear the word, to hold it fast, uh, to have an honest and good heart, and bring forth fruit with patience. So let's take a look at those in turn. Hearing the word. Again, you're in church, right? I keep coming back to that theme. That's a good thing. Uh, you heard the scripture read. But I'd ask you, can you read? I think pretty much everybody in churches these days in America can read. Note, I didn't ask if you like to read yet anyway. Uh, I know for some people it's very difficult. Uh, but I asked if you can read because, you know, the gospel readings should not be a surprise on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, the, the Archdiocese has a really nice, uh, there's an app that I, I get because I signed up with it years ago. They keep sending it to me the gospel and epistle reading and something about the saints for every single day. You know, it would be easy some days to get through the whole day and not have read that if I, you know, have, haven't even touched scripture if I didn't read that uh, in the morning. So 
you know, you, you can find out what it is. You can look it up on the Archdiocese website. A lot of us also have calendars that we hang up on our refrigerator or whatever that have the, the readings for the day listed on, on the particular calendar. So, you know, you could also talk about the gospel reading on, in the car on the way to church. Wonder what Father's going to preach about today. Well, there's this theme and this theme. and Anyway, you could do that on the way home. Uh, you know, so were you a good student? Uh, and in order to be a good student, most of us have to study. There are some people out there who are blessed to be able to read something once and it's locked in there for the rest of their life. I'm not one of those. Very few people are. Uh, so, so what do we do when we study something? Uh, generally, once through is not enough, so it ends up being a repetition kind of thing or trying to rephrase it in your own words. You know, it's, it's not that I'm Mr. Sports. I, I, I hesitate to pick sports analogies because I'm so not Mr. Sports. But, you know, everybody goes to sports practice who's on a team, right? And they review the basics again and again and again because they're the basics. They're the, the essentials. And we should be doing the same thing with Scripture. Some repetition is needed in order to really hear it when it's said in church. All right, then there's this idea of holding it fast in our hearts. Fast here doesn't mean quickly. Fast here means securely and well attached. If you think about a sailing ship, the sails are held in place. They're held fast with knots. If you go to the hardware store and you buy bolts or screws or nails, those are in the fastener department, right? They hold things down. They fasten things together. So when he says, hold the gospel, hold the scriptures, hold the word of God in your heart and make it fast, he's talking about bolting it down, making it a part of you so that it won't blow away in the wind. All right? Uh, so it's fastened to our hearts. Jesus also talks about having an honest and good heart. And, you know, going back to Titus again, where we started, you know, apply yourself to good deeds. Uh, one of those that comes to mind, and it's easy for me to say this because I'm not going to be the one uh, answering the phone when y'all call to make appointments, is go to confession. All right, really, this is an orthodox thing. Uh, I've had some people over the years tell me, oh, Father, that's for the Roman Catholics. Well, yeah, it is, but it's also for the orthodox too. It's not just something, confession is not just something that we see Roman Catholics do in the movies. It's something for all of us to do. Um, you know, I had a priest once say, you know, go to confession when you're sure you need to. And then he also said, but of course, go to confession when you're sure you don't need to. All right, that wasn't as funny as I thought it was when I wrote this. But, uh, but you know, there was a priest I, I used to know, now deceased, who would make a point of coming out to the congregation as we're heading into, say, the Christmas fast and say, you know, if you intend to receive communion on Christmas, you really ought to make a confession between now and then. You got six weeks. Don't wait till the last minute. And he would do this again before Pascha, toward the beginning of Lent, uh, and before the Dormition. Uh, other people have suggested that, you know, you change the oil on your car, or at least I hope you do. Um, you know, maybe you ought to go to confession at least as often as you get the oil changed and tires rotated on your car. Uh, if we were in a Russian church, uh, you would probably be told that be every week before you receive communion, you must come and make a confession. 
I don't know if Father Mark has that much time in his calendar, but I bet he, that's a problem he'd like to have. So uh, think about that. So uh, nearly lastly here, patience. You know, we can cram for exams, and sometimes that even works uh, for a while. Um, but there are things in life that we can't hurry. Uh, if you plant flowers or vegetables in your garden, and you stand there and you say, hurry up, grow. Do they grow any faster? I don't think so. I, I haven't been able to make them do so myself. Uh, it takes time for a calf to be born and get to a size to be bred and make milk and all. It's just, there are some things in farming, at least, you can't hurry. Um, and I think the same thing's true of spiritual maturity as well. And so I urge you not to weary in well-doing. Um, you know, sometimes things take a maddeningly long time to change in the spiritual life. That's probably why it, it, you know, so little has changed in the church over the years. Uh, and you know, maybe that's a safety thing too, as far as the church goes. You know, we've got thousands of years of experience now, probably billions of man years, uh, to tell us that this approach to the spiritual life does work if we work the system that is described. You know, if you look at the life of St. Siloan, you know, he made great spiritual progress at the beginning, but then had something that sort of let the air out of the balloon, and, and it took him, you know, decades to get back to the same place he had been early on. So sometimes that kind of progression happens. There's a burst of enthusiasm at the beginning of, of any project, but then you get to a certain point where, wow, this is a lot like work. Well, it's okay. Uh, most things worth doing take some work. And, and very often, you know, in church sense, you've got to, like I said, work the system. We have the sacraments. The Eucharist is available, God, God willing, anyway, I hope, every, every week to you, probably more often than that. Uh, confessions are available. Uh, there are other sacraments. Most of the rest of them we hope you only do once. Uh, you know, it's, um, but, but the Eucharist and confession are given for us for maintenance and, and for healing. Um, and many people, it, it seems like to me, give up at a point where if they just leaned into it some more, they'd have a breakthrough and they, they would see some progress. So don't give up. Uh, continue to, to apply yourself to good deeds. Being here, as I've been saying, is a good start, but try and take it to the next level. Uh, you know, try and make the Word of God fastened down in your life. Uh, try and apply what you're reading, apply yourself to good works, and see what can happen with patience. Patience not measured in minutes or hours, but years, possibly even decades. Christ says it will yield a hundredfold. Amen.